house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. They've got a completely different style. Carter, how are you going to adjust to that? Maybe they'll just kind of adjust to me. So you're a sports writer. Why not? Hey, what's a girl doing in the press box? Certain jobs are always going to be done like that. Big strapping man? Now, two of football's biggest stars will find themselves competing. The real story is the matchup between the bullet and teammate Dodge Conley. Over the one woman. You're the kind of cocktail that comes on like sugar but gives you a kick in the head. Who can throw them for a loss? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that never liked Sean. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my fraudulent war hero, Chris File. Hello, Chris. I never meant to start a war. Oh no! <laughs> Just you Only you in. would take would take a war hero reference and bring in Jordan Sparks immediately. I really cherish that. I really uh, like that, that is uh, Miley Cyrus, but I should have done that. No, it's both of them. Miley Cyrus oh, says, right. "I never meant well, to start a war," and, and you were thinking of Wrecking Ball, and I was thinking of the great Jordan Sparks song "Battlefield." So the better uh, song between the two. Let's be honest. I, I think they both kind of slap. So I'm I'm here for this. <laughs> Uh, I never meant to start a war duality. It's Give my default joke. That's how my smooth brain functions. I, I am nothing but a um, an auto generator of song <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> Fantastic. I think we would have probably a better time for the next 90 minutes or so talking about the finer points of Miley Cyrus and Jordan Sparks than talking about Leatherheads, a movie that I've seen now twice and somehow maybe I've never seen at all. I, uh, okay, so I've been on the train of, like, we need to stop taking George Clooney seriously as a director because his most recent movies are just, like, barely functioning movies. And this is not a new thing. Leatherheads is terrible. It's really bad. I, it I'm gonna f- sucks. It does. It does. It, it's, I've not seen all of his movies, actually. I'm looking at his filmography, I've still never seen The Monuments Men. We should probably do The Monuments Men at some point. Okay, um, so The Monuments Men is the one that people dog on all the time, and I would argue it's way better than his worst movies. I'm not saying it's a good or great I believe movie, it. I believe it. it the one, like, yeah. And then I haven't seen The Tender Bar yet, although I will. Uh, probably before this Oscar season is over just extended flapping fart noise here (laughs) I my guess is I probably won't dislike it as much as you but who knows uh who knows uh what uh what the future it's a barely functioning movie we'll definitely get into the Clooney of it all even though it's funny because this is not our first George Clooney directed movie that we've done on this podcast we did Suburbicon but there was kind of a whole lot of other stuff going on with Suburbicon and I think that movie gave us more to talk about 
because we were so dumbfounded at what was happening in the movie itself. I think we'll probably have less to talk about within the movie itself for Leatherheads, because both I can't imagine you're too interested in like the football aspects of it. And we can talk about the we can talk about the football stuff just for you, baby. Uh, I mean, but here's the thing: I, as a football guy, even watching this, and I was just like. I kind of don't care about this. Like, this is not it's actually super it's interesting. Competing movies, like this it is, is not people going no- to see this movie to watch a football movie, especially like the early days of professional football and what that was like, are going to be completely unsatisfied because it's, it's yeah. one third it, a football movie, one third a post-war like American ethics right. culture movie, and then one third this kind of like. His Girl Friday yeah, type yes. of romantic comedy, and none of it ever meshes together. None of it's done particularly well. It's and a simulacrum of sort of all of those kinds of movies, where it's sort of more the idea of those movies than, right. than anything else, I think, is a big sort of problem with it. I think also this movie really does kind of illustrate the whole problem with Clooney trying to be the third Cohen brother in with a lot of his movies and that and it's not I think there are some of his movies where that feels more true than others it feels like that kind of ended with Suburbicon and at least back then it made sense to me that Clooney like seemingly had such a good time making Oh Brother, Where Art Thou with the Coen Brothers, had such a good time making Intolerable Cruelty with the others, liked that vibe, the, liked that kind of sort of pastiche thing that they were doing with those movies, and wanted to sort of recreate that with the movies that he was making. And... I get wanting to, you know, when you have those kind of resources, when you're George Clooney, when you're, you've got a rubber stamp, yes, from the big studios and whatever, and everybody wants to work with you. I get wanting to just sort of like make a fun movie that everybody will have a good time on. What I understand less is these last couple, Midnight Sky and Tender Bar, and it's just like, okay, well, you're not really doing the, the Coen's screwball thing anymore but like why why well, these they're both movies? adaptations and they're both they were both you know produced for streamers so it's like they yeah. want to work with Clooney and it's like presumably these are just two books that he liked yeah um, you do get that with people who uh sort of have the rubber stamp to their career and do have a ton of money no and resources point of view of their own like he'd be better off producing these movies Exactly. And it's like, you're right about his earlier directorial ones. I would also throw in Soderbergh, and I think it goes back as yeah, far sure, as Confessions yes. of a Dangerous Mind, in that, yes. like, yes. he is, as a director, trying to work within the vein of some of his most successful collaborations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, George Clooney, not a director. Yeah, I mean, not it's tough to... It's tough to argue. Again, you look at somebody who's like, made almost like ten films. How many has he made? Hold on, eight, I think. Right, nine, nine, no, eight, eight. 
Yes, sorry, I can't count. Yeah, eight movies. <laughs> this is my uh, math podcast. <laughs> Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Good Night and Good Luck, which is by far his most successful movie, uh, Best Picture nominee. We'll talk about that because I think that sort of uh, gave Leatherheads the bulk of the expectations. I don't think a, a, a retro sports movie opening in April would have gotten Oscar buzz at all were it not the follow-up to uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, after Leatherheads was The Ides of March, which is the most frustrating movie, I think, on his filmography, because that seemed to have a lot of ingredients to be a good... The closest to greatness. That's the kind of... That's the movie where it feels like he wants to be Sidney Pollack. Sidney Pollack, who was a producer on this mm-hmm. movie, by the way. Um, Sidney Pollack, who was a producer on Michael Clayton. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. So again, him sort of trying to take the form of his collaborators. Um Monuments Men in 2014, which I have not seen. Suburbicon, which was kind of a Coen Brothers cast off from years before. Uh, the Midnight Sky in 2020, and then The Tender Bar in 2021. So, yeah, once again, we find ourselves kind of at odds and ends with uh, George Clooney as a filmmaker, which the thing with Clooney is he's such a natural fit to be a movie star. It felt like the most sort of when when he kind of transitioned off of ER and moved into movies and we realized that he was such a perfect sort of like Hollywood leading man, a lister was just like, we found our, our next one. And he fit into that so well. And then it turned out that he was actually a really good actor when he was in his element, especially. And, you know, uh, Michael Clayton, I thought the movie he's coming off of with Leatherheads, is a great example of that, where I still think that's his best performance, but we were in a very kind of um, riding high on Clooney. And then Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I think, is a really interesting and promising movie. It feels very Soderbergh, but there was a lot of promise in that movie. And then Good Night and Good Luck as the follow-up, which is, I think maybe in retrospect, we look back at that and maybe... It wouldn't be all it's cracked up to be. I've not gone back and watched that. Yeah, since we've then. both recently said, I forget what episode that we were like, we want to go back and watch that movie because I remember so little of the substance of that movie. I just remember the vibe and I remember it being like really caught up in like anti George W. Bush sentiment post. Oh, very, very so much. it's like very those much. of us who were politically aligned with the movie definitely rallied behind it. And how not much saying, does it benefit? Like, it made it better, but it was probably a movie that's a product of our t- of its time. And yeah, and probably benefited quite a bit from uh, David Strathairn's uh, lead performance, which was really good. But I, mm-hmm. I still, I my memories of that being, I was pretty impressed by that. And I think in general, there was this sense of just like, and he can direct, which he's kind of the last big, <clears throat> excuse me, he's kind of the last big american movie star to do that like but i but what i really want to do is direct which was such a almost like a punchline in the early 90s and the 80s and early 90s where you had people like robert redford and um and kevin costner sort of transitioning mel gibson transitioning into directing and in this generation you've got clooney did it affleck did it although affleck almost feels like he did it as a last resort because his movie his mm-hmm. uh, acting career had hit the skids but like DiCaprio not doing it Damon not doing it you know what i mean this sort of like this it felt like the newer generation of movie stars were not really moving into that area but anyway 
it felt like with Good Night and Good Luck, we had all sort of decided that like Clooney, he's the classic, he's your Redford, right? He's the new generation Robert Redford. He can act, he can direct, he's a, you know, matinee idol and all this sort of stuff. And then I think it took us a long, long time through subsequent Leatherheads, Eyes of March, Monuments Men, Suburbicon. I think it was, wasn't was until Suburbicon, maybe we talked about this in that episode, where people were like, oh, maybe Clooney's bad at directing. Like, maybe, <laughs> could that be? Could somebody so handsome and charismatic and charming and such a great movie star be bad at directing? That doesn't seem possible. And uh, it's possible. <laughs> it happened, unfortunately. I don't like, I don't like piling on in this way but like it does feel like there's a bucket of cold water somewhere that that needs to be tossed i mean i think the reason that we keep like for lack of a better word or phrase falling for it is that so much of the problem of what he's drawn to as a director is just like not the right not the right material or not good material because like Suburbicon was a script that had been sitting around for what twenty years. Same yeah. is true of Leatherheads. Right, right. Um, it's just like these. I don't know. It none of them have like maybe the freshness of like Good Night and Good Luck had. You know the kind of precision. It's like some of these things. There's a reason why they sat around, and I don't know. Leatherheads though, he did apparently quite a bit to revamp the script that existed but didn't get a screenwriting credit and apparently almost left the writer's guild because of it right Um, so the original script for leatherheads was written a decade or more before by uh duncan brantley and rick riley uh which if you are a sportsy person at all rick riley was the back page columnist for sports illustrated for a very long time and then moved to espn and had a very uh kind of a corny shtick. Uh, he was, there was a lot of um, sentimentality in his stuff, but it was also like loaded with these like dad jokes and, and he was sort of, uh, I guess riding the edge of smarmy, but more, it was more corny, more sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, folksy in a, in a kind of way, in a way that like when, you know, the era of Deadspin sort of uh, arose with online sports writing culture. He was kind of the antithesis of all of that, where he was like, you know, just really glossy and falling back on these like really sort of like tired and, and traditional old cliches about sports writing and never never felt like it had any teeth. And it all felt, you know, just kind of dumb and lame. And so when I saw that his... Uh, he was the co-writer on the script that initiated this. A, you look at Leatherheads and you're just like, well, obviously Clooney massively rewrote this because like, there's not for all of this movie's fault. this is movie is not overly sentimental or corny or in that sort of Rick Riley's well, corny. well, but in, but I not in the same way. Like if you know right. this writer, you know that like it's, it's, it's in a different kind of way. It's not that sort of Rick Riley uh, cheese to it. So, uh, the the Clooney fingerprints on this one feel pretty apparent, and also Paul especially Atanasio, in the screwball. Yeah, Paul Atanasio, who had uh, was a screenwriter for I want to say Quiz Show, and definitely Donnie Brasco and um, 
Homicide uh, uh, on television, uh, did a uncredited another uncredited rewrite before Clooney even got there. So there was a lot of layers before we got to the finished product of this. And again, it feels like it feels worked over to the point where it's unrecognizable as anything genuine. It's so much a product of the influences that Clooney wants to put on it. The mm-hmm. sort of like screwball Howard Hawks kind of a thing. You mentioned his girl Friday. I think that's a big thing. I think there's also, again, I bring up the Coens, like there's a lot of Hudsucker proxy, which was in itself an homage to older screwball stuff. So it just feels like layers on layers. And it felt like Clooney wanted to do sort of his Hudsucker proxy crossed with his A League of Their Own. And there's nothing particularly unique about it. There's nothing particularly new and different or, I don't know, like genuine about it. It all feels like it's tracing on top of another drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you almost wish that it was kind of a boring, straightforward sports movie that would normally come out in April and like lobbed off one of the three movies that it's trying to be i think the portion that it's most successful at is probably the post-war stuff but even that is like you know exactly where it's going because and maybe we should get into the plot description but like john krasinski is this football player who is also considered a war hero but it's all based on this lie and yada 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 i feel like he's at least well cast in this movie in that he's this he's supposed to play this like golden boy who has some tarnish on him and you end up wanting to root against him in all his sort of golden boyishness and just like yeah that would have worked if everything else had been sharper um i think there's also had been like the main story you know because like It is the, like, emotional climax of the movie, like, where, you know, thematically the movie's coming together, and then you still have a whole half hour after that about this football game that we really don't care about. Yeah. No, not at all. And it seems so tacked on at the end. It's just, like, by the time you get past the part where the the war fraud is resolved, where, you know, Zellweger's character has written this expose revealing his uh, war heroism as uh, fabricated. And this all gets resolved in a very kind of screwball comedy way. Clooney, you know, uh, pulls a fast one and gets him to admit what's going on. And then it's just like, Oh, and now all of a sudden there's a whole 20 minute thing where the stakes are this football game and we're supposed to care that like football has reached an impasse where now they have, they have codified it into rules and it is no longer the innocent game of hijinks that it used to be. And it's just like, (laughs) have we been meant to care about this the whole time? Because that's kind of crazy. And, and I also don't buy for a second that Clooney gives a shit about football no Clooney probably cares less about football than i do right by no. the way this movie seems because it's like there's yeah. no sense of competition and i'm at least a competitive person there's no right. sense of like history for the sport so why are we looking back on it in this like yeah early day time period yeah 
No, it's again, it all feels like a simulation. It all feels like an approximation of something that someone else would have done more genuinely. All right, let's jump into the plot description, though, because we've gone... Uh, <laughs> well, the plot description enough. will be uh, repeating ourselves a little bit at this point, but that's okay. Yeah, at this point, yeah. All right, so we are talking about the 2008 movie Leatherheads, directed by George Clooney, written by Rick Riley and Duncan Brantley, with uh, uncredited rewrites by Paul Atanasio and later George Clooney, starring George Clooney, Renee Zellweger, John Krasinski, Jonathan Price, Stephen Root shows up there to really sort of nail home the uh, the cohen brothers of it i thought uh max casella is there at some point peter garrity plays the commissioner of football it premiered on april 4th 2008 and performed middlingly i think sort of uh critically and and commercially maybe commercially even less than middlingly. Place. middlingly. I could, if i if I made you guess... On a real nondescript weekend. Like Easter or something. If I made you guess the movies that it was behind at the box office, you would never get them. But it was 21 and Nim's Island. I'm going to make you close that tab right now. Okay. Because reasons that will Do come I up later. Do I even remember what Nim's Island is? I feel like I remember... The only thing I know is that I feel like Jodie Foster was involved in it in some way. And that's yeah. It. That's she all didn't I direct know. it. No. But she was in it. In like Maybe. a supporting role, I think. I genuinely don't know whether that's a live action or animated movie. Like, I genuinely have no it's idea. It's live action. Um. Anyway, close that tab. Alright, so, Chris, I gotta put 60 seconds on the clock for you. And then I'm going to ask you. One minute, zero seconds. The plot of Leatherheads. Can you manage to fit in three movies worth of a thinly plotted uh, story into one minute? We'll see. Your time starts now. All right, in Leatherheads, we're following three main characters, first of which is Dodge Connolly, played by George Clooney, who is a pro football player. Now, keep in mind, this is post-World War I. Uh, Yeah, it was post-World War I. uh, This is before, like, pro football is a cool thing. He might as well be a traveling circus performer for how low rent this is. Uh, Then we're also following Lexi Littleton, played by Renee Zellweger, who is a journalist in Chicago. She is supposed to follow our other third character, who's played by John Krasinski. Um, He is a um, college football player. He's like a big star, but he was also a war hero. Um, So she's going because there's a tip that he um, is not actually a war hero. It's all a lie. Anyway, yes, that's true. He he is not a war hero. She writes a story about it. Meanwhile, Ten seconds. Uh, there's a big controversy about it, and uh, Carter eventually confesses that he is not a war hero, but there's a whole love story between Dodge and Lexi. Um, and then there's a And game. that's time. Sorry, now I gotta... It's just basically like, here's these characters, each of which belongs to a different movie, and then we're gonna mash them together... Yes. You have Jonathan also, Price in there, right. like, schmoozing, trying to keep the story, being a publicist, etc. Jonathan Price, the actual villain, because he's, like, a publicist, uh, leech, hanger-on guy. Here's the other thing, is Krasinski's story as a war hero is turned out to be overblown and and not genuine, but it's also, like, not 
villainy, right? Yeah, like, he's basically let off the hook. It's like the story got away from him, and he just kind of went with it. He didn't have any, like, intent to be, like, getting himself more famous. But along the way, he's getting, like, cigarette ad deals. and. But it's one of those things where it's just, like, this is sort of how legends are are spun this is how you know real complicated not cinematic kind of stories from war get spun into these very cleanly heroic kind of things and it's like as a movie viewer you're watching this and i guess i'm supposed to sort of boo and hiss at this guy for being the bad guy but it's just sort of like Eh, like he's not the bad guy here. Like the the way humanity sort of tells stories is kind of the bad guy here. And I mean, all of I, the blame gets placed on Jonathan Price and like right. John but Kaczynski in a, gets to get off easy. You know, but I don't the think good he's guy who never intended to do anything. But I think that is the case, and I think it's a. I I I guess what I'm saying is, I I'm I don't feel strongly about seeing him get his comeuppance because. Why? Why does he really? Does he really need to get that much comeuppance? Because he got a cigarette ad. You know what I mean? Like, what do I care? Like, I kind of don't care. And and I think I'm supposed to feel more strongly. I'm supposed to feel a pull towards Clooney. And there's a way to do a love triangle where the third guy isn't that bad of a guy. But then you have to invest in his character, and the movie doesn't it's do not that really either. That much of a triangle, though. Like, it it's trying to do the. In- it's trying to do the Bull Durham thing, and it just makes me wish I was watching Bull Durham too. You know what I mean? Where it's <laughs> like Clooney's the older guy, and time between Zellweger and Krasinski, like the whole screwball stuff comes in with right. Clooney and Zellweger, like trying to get out of the speakeasy and like going into a closet and putting on cop uniforms so that they can escape, and like, and that felt very strenuous. It I think felt so labored. It's the worst element of of the three movies that this movie is yeah that is the worst one i can't believe that i'm like the worst part of this movie is watching george clooney and renee zellweger fall in love because first of all screwball comedy and it's so like it feels so perfunctory when they first sort of like meet and catch each other's eye whereas like i don't feel it i know i'm supposed to i know this is what we're supposed to get to but the movie sort of takes it as a given right away that these two have this like fabulous chemistry as characters and uh, you know this sort of like repartee and whatnot and it all feels very perfunctory and very mm-hmm. kind of you've you've it's assumed thing you've about sold screwball me. too is if you can't do it right and you can't do it well it also comes across as try hard and like yeah. if you're trying hard to get that comic tone it's just going to make it less funny and yet i don't think Renee is going over the top with it. I don't think she quite knows what the movie needs from her. And I think she's trying not to embarrass herself in this. But as a result, it just feels kind of reined in and half speed a lot of the time. And it doesn't it doesn't work i think good for her for not like hanging herself out to dry for this movie that was not gonna be a success but she's also i'm not i'm not living i'm not living for renee in this movie and it's too bad well it's too bad because this is like when she stops being in movies right and like in a couple years yeah within the next couple years yeah 
it's uh, of course during the Judy run, we've heard a lot of her stories about like what she was going through at that time and like becoming disillusioned. And you can kind of see it in this performance, but not in a way that's like embarrassing. Yeah. I think she, I think she does fine, you know. It, but at the same time, it's not like you know we both love Mesa Wicker. Yeah, it's totally. Like she's a comfort to have on screen, and like you don't even get that. Like I'm so happy to be watching Renee Zellweger right. out of this performance. And again, because I I'm less well versed in the sort of screwball comedies of the Howard Hawks era than I am in you know more recent Coen Brothers shit. Like I couldn't stop thinking about how much I loved something like Jennifer Jason Lee and. How Soccer Proxy, where mm-hmm. that was that was the good version of this, where we're going to try and approximate this kind of old style, but also put our ga- put our foot heavily on the gas and just like really, really go over the top with it. And that risks that approach risks a lot. And a lot of people actually at the time didn't like Hud Soccer Proxy. Like that was kind of a it was a stumbling block, I think, for the Coen brothers in terms of like widespread success. I think the public was not really ready for what that was doing. And, mm. but now you look back at it and it's just like, yeah, that's sort of what you need to do. That's the speed you need to go at to make something like this feel more than just uh, a hand wave towards an old style. Well, and it's also probable that. You know, part of this, because it went through however many screenwriters, um, that, you know, it's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole a little bit. And it's like, if it maybe had originated as a screwball comedy, if that was the intention of the original script, it might have worked a little bit better. But now it's like George Clooney got the idea of, okay, well, we have a love interest. What are we going to do with this love interest? I like screwball comedies of that era let's try to make this that you know and yeah it's it just doesn't work i want to talk a little bit about the kind of oscar expectations on this movie because as i said on paper if you sort of divorce the Clooney aspect of it there's not really a ton about this that screams oscar like but at the same time, George Clooney is on a certain level of prestige and an Oscar high that it's exactly. like truly anything that he would attach himself to would have gotten consideration in that way. And it's interesting that this movie comes not only a few years after Good Night and Good Luck, where he had kind of established himself as a director to look out for and a sort of multi-level talent that that oscars if you recall he was nominated as supporting actor for syriana uh, director for good night and good luck and also producer for good night and good luck so he had three nominations he could have conceivably gone home with as many as three oscars he wins supporting actor for syriana which is even at the time was sort of widely seen as consolation prize for Mm -hmm. not he was never going to win the big prizes for Good Night and Good Luck because Brokeback Mountain and eventually Crash uh, were so far ahead in that race. But uh, so he wins for Syriana in a role that I think he's good in that one. But I think, again, like nobody ever really had any illusions that he was winning for the specific performance 
in Syriana. There was a little bit of a hand wave towards like, well, he gained some weight. It's just like, okay. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. That's a good movie. Like, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. got naked. It's yeah. Like, fine. Yeah, fine, I guess. But it's mostly just that, like, we really liked Good Night and Good Luck, and we would like to give you something. So please accept this gift as a... Who do you think was second place that year? Do we think it was Giamatti for Cinderella Man? Wasn't G- Giamatti passed over for, like, SAG or something? I thought he won SAG. Hold on a second. Let me look this up. Maybe maybe you're right. It's one. <laughs> I feel like it's one thing or the other. Um... But because this was also the sort of the era where uh, that nomination for Paul Giamatti felt like a makeup for the fact that he got passed over for the Sideways nomination a few I years ago. I do earlier. probably ultimately think, regardless of the thing about Giamatti, I think, unfortunately, Matt Dillon was probably second place. He Giamatti w- did win the SAG. He won. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. I mean, then maybe not Matt Dillon, but Matt Dillon won like Indie Spirit or something. Matt Dillon was the one that, like, stayed throughout the season and, like, felt like it was picking up momentum as the movie did. Yeah. It's kind of surprising and a little bit telling as to where that Oscar ceremony would eventually go that Jake Gyllenhaal, as a co-lead, usually when you're a co-lead in a supporting category, you have such an advantage. He was the only, uh, he was the only lead in that supporting category that year, and yet still, and Brokeback Mountain, which was the assumed favorite to win the Oscar, and yet he never really seemed like a a possibility to win. And maybe that was mm-hmm. a little bit of a canary in the coal mine there. It's um, weird that that movie doesn't have an acting Oscar, which like makes me lean towards even though it's a lead performance, would I maybe be someone who would have voted for Jake Gyllenhaal? But like, yeah. I also think it's weird that Paul Giamatti doesn't have an Oscar slash his only nomination is for yes. Cinderella Man, a movie that is, again, it's another like thankless Renee Zellweger role, but for real? a movie that is just not... It, Cinderella Man is... One of the movies that if I, I hate bringing this up, but one of the movies, if we ever did exception, Cinderella Man would be interesting to go back. Because sure. remember when, because it was, it was an early front movie. runner. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It was early an early front runner. runner. Yeah. But it didn't do well at the box office. And even by the end of the summer, I remember like AMC running a promotion for the movie that it's like they were trying to get it back in theaters, trying to get more box office for it because they wanted to make it an Oscar push towards the end of the year. And if it wasn't a success, they knew how hard it would be to bring it back around. But AMC ran a promotion that it's like, go see Cinderella Man. And if you don't like it, you can have a refund. (laughs) I also feel like I remember that movie being like, you're right. It opened early, earlier in the year. It didn't do much of anything. The, the the reviews were muted. And if not necessarily bad, but I remember them being at least muted. And it was a letdown from being a supposed frontrunner. And we all sort of then counted it out. And then as the fall sort of churned on and award season churned on, there felt like there was a very concerted effort to kind of rehabilitate the movie. And I remember, and if I'm like... I might be getting the actual people wrong, but like there were those sort of your usual suspects who feel like sometimes you get the really uh, heavy sense that like somebody's carrying water for a production in a way that feels intentional 
uh-huh. in a certain way. And just like there were those people, I think, were out in full force for Cinderella Man being like, you might not have liked it, you elitist critic. But like, uh, this is a salt of the earth kind of a movie. And it was kind of working because Cr- Russell Crowe got nominated for the SAG the at the same ceremony that Giamatti had won. And I do wonder if like that had been a top 10 uh, best picture category. I could have gotten it. I mean, probably you can I think it probably it gets in. like a sixth place movie in a lot of categories, too. Yeah. And I think it's just because even for what it is as this salt of the earth movie, it's fine. Yes. I don't I think it's maybe even a little bit less than fine. It's not bad. Right. I guess it's not bad. But like nobody, you know, when was the last time you heard anybody talk about Cinderella Man? Kind of never. Wait, so let's do the little intellectual exercise we sometimes do then. 2005, best picture, if it was a top 10. We'll remind remind the listeners that it was Crash, Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Steven Spielberg's Munich were the five best picture nominees. In director, too. Right. They were all best director nominees as well, so you can't really look for the director outlier. The... Uh, screenplay outliers there were things like I think the constant gardener probably gets in as like a soft you know eight or nine uh wasn't it nominated by the PGA or something constant gardener did well that season I think it was it would safely be in a top ten yeah I think that's right let me look up the PGA really quickly I would also um throw out walk the line probably would be in that 10 i think that's right all right let's see 2005 pga no walk the line was the pga outlier uh there but i think so yeah walk the line constant gardener i don't think match point was a screenplay nominee i don't think that gets in siriana was a screenplay nominee i don't think that gets in history of violence the way if you keep breaking it down through oscar though like i don't uh, you know, some of the, like, areas you would look to see, like, is there a Pixar movie? Is there, you know, a strong right. uh, international feature contender? And it's like, those things aren't there. Um, so I do wonder which of, like, A History of Violence or, like, Syriana or Matchpoint, one of those ones that we would maybe quickly say no could have actually been there. Because it's possible. Reason. I do think one of them is probably Pride and Prejudice. Oh, that's interesting. How many other nominations did that get? I think it got a total of maybe four. Art direction, costume, uh, score for Dario Marinelli. Yeah, I would also that's a say Memoirs of a Geisha. Yes, I was going to say Geisha was like the second highest winning of the night. Or it I think won, it, like three. I think it tied. I think I think Crash and Brokeback and Memories of a Geisha all won three. If I can't, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um. So yeah, I think I would probably do Memories of a Geisha. I also feel like there's a non-zero chance that if you have a top ten and and I think voters are sort of looking at a wider scope. I don't think I would count out King Kong. Which got a I lot of either, but it did have somewhat of a negative reception. 
It did, but I also feel like this could be one of those things where Hollywood kind of muscles it back in and is just like, no, it is an achievement. It is. It's a- probably also one of those things where the entire race changes if it's more than five Best Picture nominees, like from the. Get that's go, what I mean. The way that's what, are considered. And- that's sort of what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I would say Constant Gardner, Walk the Line, Memoirs of a Geisha, King Kong, and then. You're saying Pride and Prejudice. That's an interesting, or no, Cinderella Man. I think is is, is I had already put in there. I think I, I would, would put Cinderella put Man. Cinderella Man in tenth. Yeah, with Memoirs of a Geisha, Pride and Prejudice, Walk the Line, and Constant Gardner. Constant Gardner. Yeah. 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 So you're saying Pride and Prejudice. I'm saying King Kong. The yeah. battle of our ages. Like <laughs> truly, uh, uh, yeah, truly the 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 face down that uh, we were uh, face down face off that we've all been waiting for pride and prejudice versus king kong all right anyway uh so that was the 2005 oscars clooney was riding high gets the acting oscar then again a couple years later michael clayton manages to give the performance that is actually worthy of winning an oscar and is running up against the brick wall of a you know, yet another Daniel Day Lewis transformative performance that nobody can deny. And but the thing is, I think if Clooney doesn't have that Siriana Oscar, I think this whole Oscar race changes, and I think Clooney is probably undeniable um, for this. I would I... like to agree with you. I would like to live in a world where that is true, but I have seen too many. Well, there will be blood was very late breaking, so one of two things happens: either. Clooney amounts so much momentum throughout that year that it doesn't matter that it's late breaking or it's the type of late breaking thing where there's a two way race. Sure. I mean, I would like to believe that like, I mean, these are two performances that I love and it's like a coin toss type of thing of which one I would vote for probably. But I, I do wonder if he got like, He's coming off of being nominated for three Oscars in one year, but doesn't win and then gives a performance like Michael Clayton. I think he that's the difference between him having zero chance to win that year and having really strong chance to win. Yeah. Here's but my what I also if. think the fallout of it is yes. Tilda Swinton doesn't have an Oscar. <laughs> I think that's very possible. Yes. Where all of a sudden she's not the beneficiary of we should give Michael Clayton something. Right. And that race was already so close as it is. Here's my uh, what-if scenario. I think if Clooney doesn't win for Syriana, I think he loses close in a closer uh, race to Daniel Day-Lewis. He is definitely seen as the clear runner-up who uh, came close but didn't make it. Whereas in the way that it worked out, it was Daniel Day-Lewis ran away from the field and nobody else is really worth talking about. Um, and... But I think in this one, Clooney comes out of Michael Clayton with uh, Now We Owe Him one. And then I think when he comes back with Up in the Air in 2009, by the time Jeff Bridges comes out with Crazy Heart, it's too late. And and Clooney has the reins of that race. Crazy Heart was also late-breaking. Right. Crazy Heart was very late-breaking. And that was one where there felt like there was a little bit of a, a vacuum at the head of that race. And, and Bridges stepped into it. And so then I think Bridges maybe wins for True Grit and Colin Firth doesn't have an Oscar. No. I, I'm less doubtful of that. Like, I still think 
the Jeff Bridges thing would have probably beat George Clooney. And there was the whole stuff with, like, up in the air that it was, like, an early front runner. But then as more people saw it, people didn't actually like the movie and people had problems with the movie. I think it's probably more likely that George Clooney would have won for The Descendants because George Clooney... For a while, people well, thought he was yeah. going to win a second Oscar for that. Definitely, if Clooney doesn't have an Oscar by the time The Descendants comes along, he definitely wins for that. Even though that was another movie that started off strong, buzz-wise, and then people kind of turned on that movie. I as... was one of them, because I, what, the first time I saw it, I hated that movie. Yeah. Um, I definitely think he wins that, though, if he's not already an Oscar winner. That was a right. weird Oscar race. That Best Actor race in 2011. Everything about the 2011 Oscars is so strange. That should be uh, Brad Pitt's Oscar. Yeah, well, a lot of people think that. I am I am less sold on Moneyball than a lot of people, even though I don't dislike Moneyball. I kept waiting for Moneyball to sort of thrill me in the way that it seemed to thrill other people, and I was sort of left a little nonplussed as to why everybody was freaking out about this movie, which is strange because it has all the elements of things that I like, including, you know, a Sorkin script, and I like Bennett Miller's stuff, and I like Brad Pitt quite a bit, and I was stuck on B+, and I think a lot of people were at, like, A, A+, and I was like, okay, I don't know. Um, but I anyway. It's less of a thrilling movie, and I, I would say the same thing about his performance, that it's less that it's, like, thrilling and I get wrapped up in it than it is kind of this like emotional quasi-spiritual thing that yeah, I didn't get I that don't know, I find very moving and I mean Brad I think you, you so are rarely in that register or had been at that time yeah yeah no I mean I get it and you know I I am definitely the outlier on that one but uh, here I am. Here I am. All right. What we're saying is George Clooney's Oscar is not very good, but at least it's not for directing. <laughs> right. And again, I don't think he's bad in Syriana. Like, it's just that, and I think that was another one where just there was not enough of a of a push behind anybody else. There was no story in Supporting Actor that year that beat three-time nominee George Clooney. Like, that was the, right. that was the best story. So the, that's what people went with. Um, let's jump to Renee for a second. We're at a real, a real weird stage of, of a movie star's career in the, uh, in the post Oscar pre-retirement Renee Zellweger run where she's coming off of, this was only the fourth live action movie she had made since Cold Mountain five years before. So she had done voice the roles in Shark Tale and B movie. Again, even the voice roles are kind of animated movies are we shall not speak of. Yeah. Um and then she had done Bridget Jones The Edge of Reason, which feels like Boy. obligatory and then also not very well received, even though she did get a Golden Globe nomination. Was it Cinderella you that I was recently explaining to that the Yes. The Thai prison subplot in that movie is lifted from the book. It's not like a movie doing something weird. I had no idea any of that happened in that movie. I've still not seen uh, uh, Edge of Reason. Um, wild. Truly wild. So Cinderella Man, which we just talked about, where it's an underwhelming movie that even even in an underwhelming movie, she's an underwhelming role in that movie, yeah. which is like, that's tough. She that's tough one to come monologues back about, like, every time you get hit, I feel it too. It's a parody of The Supportive Wife. It really is. It's... 
it's you know the Heidi Gardner SNL Weekend Update character where she's like the boxer's wife and she's clearly doing like uh uh like an Amy Adams in the fighter kind of a thing, but like the the sort of stock version of it. Like it's not even that trashy. It's not like it would be fun if it's trashy, but it's like all of the drudgery of the supportive boxing wife role. But then also you have to keep up the respectability of the fact that you're in the 1920s or whatever. And it's just like, oh boy, it's just, it's the least fun role in any movie ever. I will say just of all time. Um, Miss Potter, which we've covered on this podcast before, which gets her another Golden Globe nomination, and truly not a soul saw her play Beatrix Potter in that movie. Uh, From the director of Babe, it's weirder than you think it would be, and yet still not quite to the level of being great. So You at least get to enjoy charming Renee Zellweger in it than you do in this movie. And then B-movie in 2007, as I said. And then 2008, she's in two movies by actor-directors that kind of don't exist, kind of flop, uh, Leatherheads. And then the other one is Appaloosa, the Ed Harris Western uh, Appaloosa, wherein she is on the poster in sort of a um, like fancy stagecoach lady dress. <laughs> In in the negative space in between Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen, who are doing a kind of a reunion from History of Violence, but now they are uh, in a Western as opposed to each other. And Fancy stagecoach lady, I need you to give running sports commentary on like the drag race runways and try to explain outfits in that register. <laughs> and Jiria like, could do fancy stagecoach lady on that runway is what I will tell you. Um and Jiria Paris see Willow Pill as a fancy stagecoach lady. I'm sure you would. Like what's I'm her sure, subversion of that? I'm sure she would be very silly doing that and everybody would love it. Um So yeah, Appaloosa kind of comes and goes as does uh, a lot of things at this point in her career and and then god 2009 is kind of such a disaster 2009 uh the movie new in town where it's her and harry Kotick jr and she uh plays another sort of like career gal right the she's poster a, is the sweet home alabama poster except she's sitting on some suitcases right she's uh she's a fancy big city professional lady who has to move to uh northern minnesota for reasons and I'm then she you, you need to do the drag race runway competition it will compete with sasha velour saying with a commitment to showcasing <laughs> women who are strong <laughs> true um fancy city lady it's also a movie that's released on like literally like january one half like it's just literally (laughs) it's the earliest possible you could (laughs) release a movie was new in town january 1st at 7 a.m january 1st at two minutes past the stroke of midnight they rush that thing into theaters and they're just like if we are we done are we good uh, so yeah, that was bad. She's a voice in Monsters vs. Aliens, which I don't even, I saw Monsters vs. Aliens in the theater and I don't remember, uh, who she plays in that. Um, and then a bunch of movies that like barely got released. My one and only, the Richard Longcrane movie with, um, oh, who else is in that movie? Isn't that a bunch of like young folk? 
Logan Lerman. Lerman. Little little Logan Lerman is in that movie. Um, And then Case 39, which is the horror movie that she... Delayed for several years. Which I started to watch with a group of friends, and I remember we turned it off because it was just too uh, unpleasant. At some point, like, a kid ends up in an oven, and we were just like, we don't need to see any more of this. (laughs) So we turned it off. Yeah, that was a movie that had very long delays, was supposed to be terrible, but that's where she met Bradley Cooper, and that's when they started dating. Right. Which also felt like a weird death knell. Remember when, like, because she had the marriage to Kenny Chesney that was annulled for... What was it? Was um reasons, like, but it was one of those like a uh, failure to <laughs> failure to tell the truth or something. Well, yeah, it was. Well, right, it was fraud. I felt like that one was just like the actual legal definition was fraud, and of course, everybody jumped to the conclusion that Kenny Chesney was gay. And then when she got together with Bradley Cooper, who also at the time for a long time was sort of plagued with rumors that he was gay, and. So I think people just sort of started envisioning Renee Zellweger as this sort of like black widow of of beards where she just sort of just like would like flit from like closeted male to closeted male and 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 the press would get would get bad. It was you wonder you wonder why she stepped away. You wonder why she stepped away yeah, from all of this. Yeah, people were obviously awful to her. And then um, the last straw was the Olivier Dehan movie My Own Love Song with her which and Forrest I would love Whitaker. to do. We should. There's no reason why we should. I don't think it ever got a. No, it did get a U.S. release, but I think it eventually, years later, was direct to DVD. Yes. Yeah, it was one of those ones where it's just like, did that movie ever get released? And it turned out like, yeah, like a year ago. And it was like, oh, I never noticed. Um, Matthew Liebetik did the uh, the cinematography for that one. That's that's two. That's that's two. That's too talented a a cinematographer. Another movie where she sings too. Apparently, yes. Apparently. Uh, and she plays a she's paralyzed, right? I do in the believe. film. She's in a wheelchair, and yeah, it was one of those ones where it was like Oscar buzzy in a really kind of crass way, where people were just sort of just like nobody I really some festival where people saw it and they were like SOS, do not send help. <laughs> Do not send help is the opposite of SOS, but I guess that's the messaging of the movie. Well, um, yes. It was SOS backwards, Chris. And uh, so like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then she went away for uh forever and then uh, Bridget, Bridget Jones, Jones's baby though. Drew her back. Lovely. Sure, I believe Good you. Good Bridget Jones sequel. I believe you. Um It's a nice movie. I believe I you. I you recently about this movie. I don't know why. All right. It's a nice sequel. All right. Uh, Unfortunately for Renee Zellweger, speaking of Appaloosa, by the way, uh, her two 2008 performances, Leatherheads and Appaloosa, managed to earn her a yoga nomination, which is the, once again, the Spanish, the Spanish Razzies, which not content to rag on the uh the bad performances in spanish language movies they also have a worst foreign actress award which renee did win for her performances in both this and in appaloosa i want to quickly bring up who else were nominated uh de niro and al pacino won foreign actor for righteous kill oh, i think boy. they earned that just in title alone 
uh, right. director, worst foreign director, went to Catherine Hardwick for Twilight. And worst foreign film went to Sex in the City. I think we know what's going on here. <laughs> I, think I think we... I think we're quite aware. I think we can put a pin on what is happening with a lot of this voting. Speaking of putting a pin in stuff, let's put a pin in Leatherheads for a moment because I have a game for Love you. Love a game. I realized, I figured we wouldn't have a ton to say actually about actual Leatherheads, so I wanted to uh, put together a game and I realized we have not played my beloved Alter Egos in quite a while. So I want to play oh. a round of Alter Egos. I have 10 movies for you. I will name three movie characters from other movies and you will figure out the actors who played those roles and what one movie all three of those actors were in together. All of the answers to this one will be movies that were in the box office top 50 on April 4th, 2008, the day that (laughs) Leatherheads opened. So somewhere on the box office top 50 of that week in 2008. All right. So you're going to have some Oscar holdovers from... The previous season, you're going to have some bad movies, you're going to have some Valentine's Day movies. Exactly, exactly. All right, so to start you off, Chris, your three roles are George Boleyn, Lois Lane, and John Doe. This is definitely 21, because John Boleyn is Jim Sturgis from The Other Boleyn Sister. George Um, Boleyn, yes. Lois Lane is Kate Bosworth in Superman Returns, and John Doe is Kevin Spacey in Seven. Very good. Yes, 21. A movie I defy anybody to tell me that they have seen, because uh, number one movie, movie at the box office. Hit movie. I don't know a single soul who ever saw it. All right. Next one. Lemuel Gulliver, Ford Prefect, and Rosemary Woodhouse. Uh, the Gulliver one has to be Jack Black, because he was in that Gulliver's Travel movie. Is that correct? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. What were the other two names? Mary Prefect? Ford Ford Prefect and Ford. Rosemary Woodhouse. Rosemary Woodhouse is uh, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread? That's Woodcock. Ah, oh, fuck. Um, Wood, Woodhouse. Rosemary Woodhouse. I know this. Oh, Mia Farrow. In Rosemary's Baby. Uh-huh. Mia Farrow and Jack Black. The middle one was Ford... Ford Prefect. Ford Prefect. I don't think I know what that is. If you don't think... know it right away, I'm going to say don't work it out because you probably won't get it. Is it year one? No. It's not okay. year one. What Jack Black movie had Mia Farrow? Let me see if I can find another name for you for this. Hold on a second. It was, I definitely feel like you've seen this movie, even if it's not sort of like top of your mind. Um, What's another role for this person instead of Ford Prefect? Doesn't really have a ton of like. Wait, it's. Oh, Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry is the other instead of Ford Prefect. Jeffrey Wright? No. No. It's most deaf. Right. 
Oh, I actually haven't seen this movie. It's, oh, okay. It's uh, Be Kind Rewind. It's Be Kind Rewind. Uh, Michelle Gondry, I believe, yes? Yes. All right. Yes, Be Kind Rewind. Jack Black, Most Def, Mia Farrow. Uh, kind, really likable. I remember I remember liking it. I don't, I don't think about it a lot these days. But anyway. All right. Your next three roles are Noir Spider-Man, Bridget Von Hammersmark, and Queen Elizabeth II. Okay, so Bridget von Hammersmark, Noir Spider-Man. Noir Spider-Man is Nicolas Cage and Spider-Verse. Um, Nicolas Cage in 2006. Is this like Drive Crazy? It's 2008, by the way. But, oh, um, 2008. No, Ghost Rider. No, not Ghost Rider. Okay. We're- Bridget von I am Hammersmark. right about Nicolas Cage, though, right? Yeah. Fr- Bridget von Hammersmark, Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II um, in a movie, though. Uh, Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. Helen Mirren and Nicolas Cage. Uh... <sighs> Bridget von Hammersmark. Which is a name that I know. I'm not. It, you quite definitely there. do. Um, hold on. Let me see if I can get another character for this person. Do do do. Helen of Troy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Diane Kruger. Uh huh. What? You've not seen this movie, but I'm surprised you don't. You, you're not getting it from this cast. It's a sequel with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and Nicolas Cage, I'm assuming, is the headliner because uh-huh. you mentioned him first. Is it yeah. the second Ghost Rider? No, <laughs> it's not. It's not any Ghost Rider. Um, it is a sequel. Uh, oh God! <sighs> yeah, it's National Treasure too. It's National Treasure, Book of Secrets. A movie yes. I do actually want to see. Yeah. One of these weekends, I should just do the National Treasure movies. I feel like that would be a fun weekend for it's me. It's only two movies. It should have been more. It should have been. I know. Well, at um, least the first one. I, don't know. I can't speak for the second. All right. Next one. Randall Patrick McMurphy, Nelson Mandela, Jack McFarland. Nelson Mandela is Morgan Freeman. I'm not going to tell you anymore, because sometimes these could be multiple things. And Yeah, it could also be Idris Elba. Work out the other ones. Okay, give me the names again. Randall Patrick McMurphy. Jack McFarland. Jack McFarland is DiCaprio? No. Some of these are television. Some of the roles are television, I will say. Okay. Randall McMurphy is a name that I know from, like, an adult prestige action movie. It's not, not like Mel Gibson. It's not an action movie. I will say, don't don't uh, bark up that tree. Drama. Jack McFarland. Randall McMurphy. <laughs> What if I Morgan Freeman or Idris Elba? What if I said the Joker, Nelson Mandela, Jack McFarland? 
Jack Nicholson. Oh, um, the bucket list. It's the bucket list. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. Randall Patrick McMurphy is. Oh, Jack Ni- McFarland is Will and Grace. Yes. Sean Hayes and Will and Grace. McMurphy yeah. is, uh, is Jack Nicholson's character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. All right. Yes. Next three. Stephen Glass, Mace Windu, and The Thing. Mace Windu is um, Samuel L. Jackson. From the Star Wars is is. Samuel Glass is Stephen Glass. Stephen, Stephen Glass. Glass. Oh, so that's not that's not Bruce Willis in Unbreakable, is it? No. Um, Mr. Mr. Glass is also uh, Samuel right. L. That's Jackson. Mr. Glass. Okay, there's something. And the third one is the what thing. Was that? The, the thing. thing. Um. Ooh. Ooh. Stephen Glass. Shattered Glass. Hayden Christensen is this jumper. It's jumper. Hayden Christensen is Stephen Glass. Mace Windu is Samuel Jackson. The Thing? Guesses? Uh, Billy Elliot. Not Billy Elliot. Jamie <laughs> Bell in something. In uh, the, the Bad Fantastic Four. Ah. All right. Ooh, Next. Ooh, you do yeah. not just invoke that. I know. Like a four-year hex follows you if you invoke that movie. Next one. Abraham Lincoln, the Riddler, Julius Caesar. Uh, well, the Riddler would be Jim Carrey. Abraham Lincoln, it can't be... It really can't be uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh no! It it's there will be blood because you're counting the upcoming Batman. I am. Paul Dano I feel like plays that's breaking the breaking a rule. It's not breaking a rule because I decide the rules. Uh, Paul Dano plays the Riddler in the Batman. Daniel Day Lewis is Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I tried to find a third. There will be blood actor actually who like had in, uh, notable names in his filmography. I ended up with uh, Kieran Hines who played Julius Caesar in Rome, the HBO TV series Rome. Yeah. All right. Next one. Lady Macbeth, Julie Powell, Ronan the Accuser. <laughs> Ronan the Accuser is a recent superhero thing. Lady Macbeth could be one of many people. Could be Francis McDormand. Could be Marion Cotillard. It could be uh, 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 Judy Dench. I'm going to guess at this timing that it's Marion Cotillard. Is it Rust and Bone? Is that the no, right year? Rust and Bone wouldn't be for another several years. Um, okay. No, But not she's not really Rust headlining movies yet. Mm. Okay, so I got to go down maybe Francis or... Huh. Lady Macbeth, Julie Powell, Ronan the Accuser. Lady Macbeth. There's got to be another Lady Macbeth because none of those are coming to me. What is Ronan the Accuser? That's like, is that DC? Nope, it's Marvel. It's Marvel. Oh, that's Lee Pace. Uh-huh, from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Okay, so Lee Pace at this point, it's not um it's not the fall, the other Tarsem movie, is it? 
No. Okay. Is it The Immortals? Is that the name of that movie? Or Immortals? Nope. 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 I put these roles in the order that the that uh, in the cast order from the movie that you're trying to guess. So Lee okay, Pace is so definitely the third, third lead. Build. Yeah. Lady Macbeth, Julie Powell, Ronan the Accuser. Oh, it's Mrs. Pettigrew list for a day. It's Miss Pettigrew. Pettigrew. Yes. Who he's you? third build, and then that's Francis. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then who's our middle? Who's our middle Amy sibling? Adams. Amy Adams is Julie Powell and Julie and Julia. Yes. All right. Ah, uh, yes. Next one. Sebastian Valmont, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Cobra Commander. Uh, Sebastian Valmont is Colin Firth in Valmont? No? I'm not saying. Ah. Uh, give me the other two names then. Pretty Boy Floyd and Cobra Commander. Pretty Boy Floyd is from, like, one of those outsider movies I don't like. Um, Cobra the Commander is a G.I. Joe thing. Who was in those G.I. Joe movies? Um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt played Cobra Commander in the G.I. Joe movies. This is pre-500 Days of Summer... Is it stop loss? It is stop loss. Okay. Very good. Sebastian Valmont would be not Colin Firth. Uh, I guess Channing Tatum. No, follow down. Who did Colin Firth uh, play uh, in Valmont? Oh, it's Ryan Phillippe in Cruel Intentions, which yes. is the same freaking role. Yes. Bastard. Pretty Boy Floyd was Channing Tatum's character in Public Enemies, the gangster Pretty Boy Floyd. All right. Gotcha. Uh, Kitty Pride. Robin and Jenna Rink. Kitty Pride is Elliot Page. Yes, from the X Men. So movies. this is Juno. This is Juno. Any guesses on who the other ones are? Robin and what? Uh, Jenna Rink. Jenna Rink has to be. Um... No, because Whippet's after this. Correct. I mean, one of them's probably Jennifer Garner, considering the billing. Uh huh. Jenna Rink is Jennifer Garner in thirteen, going on thirty. Robin is a little bit of a, of a head fake. Uh, Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah like an animated Robin in in Lego Batman. Yes. All right. Last one. Oswald Cobblepot, Knuckles McGinty, and M. <laughs> Oswald Cobblepot. Unless you're really trying to screw with me, it's either Danny DeVito. Or uh, Colin Firth. Or Colin Farrell, sorry. <laughs> Colin Firth would be funny. He'd be a decent penguin. Yeah. He's always in penguin suits. It's true. Um, M is going to be either Rafe Fiennes or Judy Dench. Huh. What was Colin Farrell even doing at that time? I deeply, deeply wish there was a 2008 movie that starred Danny DeVito and Judy Dench. I really, really do. <laughs> or Ray Fiennes. So I guess it probably means that it is Colin Farrell with, huh, with Judy Dench or with Ray Fiennes. Uh. <sighs> Oh, it's uh, uh, 
Is it in Bruges? It's in Bruges, yeah. Okay, so the middle one is Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, Knuckles McGinty was Brendan Gleeson in, any guesses? Paddington 2. (laughs) It was his character in Paddington 2. Very well done, Chris. Another fun and chaotic game of alter egos. It makes me wish we were doing categories tonight so I could give this game to to our little game group. We should do that again. All right. Um, back to Leatherheads. Any odds and ends we want to go back into? Was not very well reviewed. It was very middling reviews. Very, uh... which I think is over generous. Yeah, we were talking before we got on mic that it's like it's probably one of those things that this movie opened in April and it's like post Oscar season and like you know people are just recharging their batteries. <laughs> they end up being more generous than they should be. That's right. That's right. Um, it was nominated for an ESPY award, uh, ESPN's uh, Sports Awards, for Best Sports Movie. Interesting, as I'm going through, I'm sort of scaling, sc- scrolling down the ESPY awards that year. It's amazing how in 13 years, so little has changed. Uh, international athlete went to Rafael Nadal that year, who just today, as we're recording this, won his 21st Grand Slam uh, championship. I was very happy. Uh, best NFL player went to Tom Brady, who I'm thinking slash hoping is retiring, although he's playing sort of uh, fast and loose with uh, his retirement. Anyway, Leatherhead's nominated for Best Sports Movie. It does not win. It is nominated up against The Game Plan, Disney's The Game Plan, starring The Rock, uh, and also, apparently, Kira Sedgwick is also in that movie, <laughs> where he plays a uh, a quarterback who discovers that he has an eight-year-old daughter. So, uh, I've not seen the game plan. Have you seen the game plan? I think you know the answer to that question. The other nominee that didn't win was Resurrecting the Champ from uh, the contender director Rod Lurie, that starred... Uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Champ and uh, and Josh Hartnett Did he get also. resurrected? Rebecca Hall style? Apparently. So, uh, no, uh, Samuel L. Jackson is a homeless man who, it turns out, was a box, uh, great boxing legend who everybody thought had died. And I think Josh Hartnett plays a sports reporter who uh, comes upon this story. I have never... Never seen, uh, yes, he resurrects him uh, in this. And then the winner of Best Sports Movie went to Semi-Pro, the uh, Will Ferrell basketball comedy Semi-Pro with Woody Harrelson and Andre 3000 and Maura Tierney. One of the first, like, Will Ferrell disappointments, right? Yes, yes. Will Ferrell in sports doesn't match because the same was true of Kicking and Screaming, it was called? And Blades of Glory, also. Yes. Yes. Um, Blades of Glory, a nominally a sports movie, but also a uh, homophobia movie. So there's that. <laughs> All right. So anything else about Leatherheads before we perhaps move into the IMTB game? I was very disturbed by early football. I realized... <laughs> oh, yeah, we that... haven't really talked about football at all. I mean, I realize, A, I am not the sports person here. You're um, not. Yes. But, and I realize that, like, American football evolved over time to the point that, like, early pro football players were not these hulking, you know, masses of meat, like, 
modern there, day. There were not weight are. training regimens and and fitness stuff, and yeah, they were not. Yeah, they, these were just dudes running yeah. around in the literal mud. But like, I was so disturbed by what the helmets used to be. It's basically just like wrapping your head the in titular less than leather you heads. wrap your foot in a shoe. Well, so um, the interesting thing about that though is and people have kind of written about this and sort of with the uh, the concussion stuff and CTE and 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 whatnot that the days of the leather helmets while also being sort of like dangerous in their own way they they say that concussion risks have gone up the better that the equipment has become because you feel freer to play more violently, I guess, and sort of uh, launch your body because you know you feel protected by this equipment. The game has sort of gotten more uh, violent, and obviously it's faster now and all that sort of stuff. Whereas if you – there's this odd little uh, counterintuitive plea that never really gets taken seriously for good reason – uh, you know that like they should all play without helmets, and and the idea being that if your you know if your actual dome is exposed, that you maybe don't go for these very dangerous hits and stuff. Not I'm dubious. We love a thought that's based purely in theory and not reality. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, it definitely old football. Uh, very very little resemblance it was funny that they actually went for and the movie sort of has ended on a climactic forward pass because and i didn't really care to sort of go into history but like the forward pass was like an innovation in the game of football like before for a while there it was just sort of handing the ball off and running and and everything and like the the innovation to actually like throw the ball in football which like now if you watch football like that's the whole that's the name of the game is uh is long touchdown probably passes if you watched an equally cheesy but better movie this movie would be about like the invention uh, they would create yes. the lie that this movie would be about the invention of the forward pass and that's right. what this climactic game would be well and again the the end of this movie there's this whole thing was just like uh, uh, pro football now has all these rules so you can't be playing with your flim flams and whatnot like you used to and it was just like i guess we were meant to care more at the beginning of the movie that Clooney's teams are full of full of beans and you know they've got these you know these goofy little names for trick plays and whatnot and now they can't do that anymore because football's on the up and up and it's like that's a real thin premise for a for tension <laughs> Going Beyond into the helmets, though, the I was movie. still concerned for their safety because, like, the field that they're playing on is this muddy oh, yeah. mass that's like constant divots in there. It looks like a bunch of groundhog holes, but like everywhere. And I'm like, how is not every single one of these players shattering their ankles yes. running through this? You are really asking to have your leg get stuck about the calf deep in the mud and to have somebody literally just separate you from your knee bone, essentially. And. Yeah, it does not look incredibly uh, safe. Or and that was the other thing is, and they make mention of it. This is a movie in the movie is now without all these, you know, all this trickery and all the George Clooney, you know, uh, monkey shines or whatever. They're like, well, now it's a pretty boring game, and it's just like, yeah, for a while until all this until you actually got like 
elite athletes playing it. I imagine football played by, you know, this bunch of doofs would not be super fun to watch where it's just like run for two yards, then you get tackled. It's a big mud pile. You can't tell who's playing for who because everybody's jerseys are caked in mud, which also becomes a plot point by the end of the movie. The end of the movie, by the way, is absolutely ridiculous and dumb because the whole thing is premised on this like the movie purports to fool you that it's going to end on an interception in the end zone but it ends up being that Clooney was pretending he was on the Krasinski team and then he caught it and then it turns out he was on his own team so he's not an interception it's a touchdown and it was just like yeah but if the whole premise is that all their jerseys are caked in mud why would they call it one way and not the other without checking the jersey anyway it's just dumb they didn't you know whatever I could football about it for a while. It's dumb. It doesn't. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Leatherheads is a fraud. Cinema sins. Um, uh, somebody call uh, uh, Lights Camera Jackson. All right. Anyway, <laughs> don't invoke LCJ. He'll block us. <laughs> I just found out today that I am not blocked by a uh, notorious uh, internet person who I thought I was blocked by, and I'm kind of bummed. I was. Uh, I was enjoying. I was enjoying my blocked period. Now I have to know you know what LCJ and the French César Awards have in common. Oh God, what? They both called Eileen one of the best films of the year. I hate, I hate that you brought LCJ that up. put Eileen or Aileen. We'll talk about that movie in April when it comes out. It is everything that you uh, expect it to be. Um, How should I watch that 10. movie? What, what, in what, under what conditions should I watch the Celine Dion movie, Aileen? In a literal sea of homosexuals. Okay. But like gathered at my home, because it'll probably be a VOD release. Like, I w- I'm dubious that this thing's going to get a theatrical. I mean, Roadside is releasing it, it's getting a theatrical release. Okay. All right, here we go. I mean, I'm sure it'll be on VOD shortly thereafter. But yes, the the French César Awards, which if listeners are not familiar, basically the French Oscars, it got like 10 nominations, <laughs> including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress. It's only the French. I guess. That's insane. That's wild to think about. All right. All right. Let's I do mean, the IMDb game. We did it with game. Bohemian Rhapsody. America is not uh, you know, special here. We also fall for it. That Kristen Stewart Cesar gets uh, less and less, uh, less and less impressive every day. All right, um, let's do the IMDb game. Tell our listeners how the IMDb game works. All right, listeners. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it'll just become a free-for-all of hints and our Celine Dion impersonations. <laughs> All right. That is the IMDb game. Chris, would you like to guess first or give first? I'll give to you first. All right. Okay, so we talked about the ESPY Awards, which Leatherheads was nominated for, and it lost against Semi-Pro, which we mentioned is a Will Ferrell comedy. Do you know who the one of the other top-billed stars is that's not Andre Benjamin, like you mentioned? Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. For you, so I gotta guess Woody Harrelson. 
I have Woody Harrelson, who surprisingly we have not done. There is one television credit and is known for. I'm going to get, all right, I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm going to guess that it is not Cheers, but it is True Detective. It is True Detective. All right. Which Three. like feels like is largely forgotten, even though the Mahershala season was supposed to be good. I still stand by that first season. I think a lot of people got disillusioned because good. they they sort of created this thing in their heads that the ending was going to be something that it was never going to be. And I don't think that's the show's fault. Anyway. Right. Um, Three Woody Harrelson movies. I'm going to guess that the one of them is The People versus Larry Flint. Correct. One of his Oscar nominations. I'm going to put a pin in his other Oscar nomination for... Uh, oh, no, he's got two others. The Messenger mm-hmm. and Three Billboards. Is Three Billboards one of them? No. Incorrect. <sighs> well, now I'm in a tough spot because... I don't think it's The Messenger, but it can't rule it out because it is an Oscar nomination. All right. I'm going to guess No Country for Old Men. Also incorrect. Damn it. All right. What am I going to get your years? Uh, Your years are 1994 and 2009. The Messenger. God damn it. No. Really? 2009 was the same year as The Messenger, though, right? The Messenger, like, this doesn't matter anymore. But for the longest time, The Messenger was the lowest grossing acting nominee. Yes, yes, it was. Um, So another movie he did in 09 that was not the movie he was Oscar nominated for. All right, you said 1994. That's Natural Born Killers. It is Natural Born Killers. All right, 09. Which makes sense it would be on his known for because, like... yes. Just from an SEO standpoint, like yes. he's probably in almost all of the photos yes. listed for that movie. Yep, you know. yep, yep, totally. All right. 2009, same year as his Oscar nomination. What else is Woody Harrelson in? Is it something obvious? Going to... Is it obvious, something obvious that I'm just not thinking of? Maybe not obvious, obvious, but like, you're going to be like, you're going to think that you should have said this already. Hmm. It's pre-Hunger Games, but this is probably a role that helped him secure that Hunger Games I role. totally didn't even think of Hunger Games. That would have been one I probably should have guessed, even though it's wrong. All right, so it's a, it's a franchisee action thing? Uh, I mean, yes, but no to all of those. Like, it's sure. that, but it's something else. And it's too early for Solo, and it's too early for Venom. He's been in a lot of franchises, actually, now that I think about it. He's done a lot of work. He's like, done a lot of work. All it's right. the credit to True Detective and uh, Natural Born Killers and People vs. Larry Flint that it's that those are in there, you know, and it's not, you know, yeah. the Hunger Games, you know. All right, so what was 09... I'm trying to think of like what we're like. I imagine it's like summer blockbuster kind of a movie. Not summer. This movie did really well, and it does have one sequel. It does have one sequel. Oh, is it uh, uh, Now You See Me? No. <laughs> I would be willing to bet you have seen this, but haven't seen the sequel. By the time the sequel came out, no one cared. Okay. Would I have liked this movie? Maybe. Like, this movie's fine. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, is he the lead? Uh, he's first build. But I would say that the second build 
actor who's a younger actor is the lead of the movie. Right, right, right. They're like co-leads, but like the other one is the protagonist. The kid. The young man. <laughs> a young man. Um... <laughs> Actually, this young actor is the one that Jack A. Harry was talking about, maybe. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if she, if she was? Did this um... younger actor sort of blossom into a big career? Uh, I mean, yes, this is this younger actor before he really leveled up the next year and was perhaps taken more seriously after that. Jesse Eisenberg? Yes. Huh. Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg made a bunch of money, got a sequel, and it's not Now You See Me. The next two build actresses, one of them has an Oscar and the other is an Oscar. Oh, it's Zombieland. It is Zombieland. I should have gotten this. You're right. I'm dumb. I'm dumb that it took me that long. Yeah, I like Zombieland. Zombieland's pretty good. Um, Did you see Zombieland 2? No. (laughs) Your your, your assumptions are correct. Um, Yeah, in retrospect, it's it's very dumb that I didn't get that. Okay. Uh, That was a good one. That's an interesting known for. That's interesting and challenging. All right. I mean, he, I would argue he has a pretty good known for considering what it could be. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yet some, you know, I am kind of surprised that uh, a recent Oscar nomination like Three Billboards isn't there or a blockbuster like Hunger Games isn't there. But but yeah. All right. So for you, I went into the George Clooney filmography. Luckily, he has many movies with many stars in them. He is not wanting for uh, cast members. And so I chose somebody who... I know you like very much, and so I feel like you would be better equipped to guess her filmography. This person was in The Ides of March, although not in a very prominent role. This is Jennifer Ely. Ah. Okay. Actually, this is going to be tough. One television. Um, No television? One television. Which is Pride and Prejudice. Yes, correct. Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Um, Contagion. No. Oh, my. Um. Okay. Saint. Uh, ooh, I don't want to throw out another one just yet. No, it's not going to be Saint Maud. She's barely in the movie. There's probably like no photo stills of her in that movie. I wouldn't say she's barely in the movie. She's I the mean... second lead. She's the second lead. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to guess that though. It's too new, and she's got bigger movies. I will say Zero Dark Thirty. Correct. Zero Dark Thirty. Two more films. People forget that she's in The King's Speech, but I'm going to have to guess that some of these are going to be her bigger movies, and I'm going to say The King's Speech. She's Jeffrey Rush's wife in The King's Speech? Is not The King's Speech. So that is two strikes. So now you get your remaining years... Both of these movies are 2016. Is one of them Little Men? Yes, Little Men. Oh my god. My beloved Iris Little Men. Little Men. Iris Sachs is like one of the names that just like regularly will come up on our podcast of like people we love. Yes. Um I want to make sure that Seek Out Little Men. Oh, it's so good. She's on the poster of it. Everybody in the family is on the poster of it. It's really wonderful. I'm going to guess that this other 2016 movie didn't get released in the States until 2017, but let me confirm. Is it A Quiet Passion? It is A Quiet Passion. Yes, it did not get I released until... when it was released, but I know that those movies were like back-to-back. Spring 2017, um, it got released in the States, yes. 
Terrence Davies. We are a Davies Babies podcast. Who is she we in The Quiet, Quiet Passion? Passion? Who is what's her role in that film? She's Lavinia, the sister. Gotcha. Gotcha. She's wonderful. I mean, of course she's wonderful. She's Jennifer Ely, but uh, very well done. Good job. Interesting. She also has, I think, a, an interesting uh, known for. I don't think I'd have given just anybody that one to guess because I do think it's uh, those last two movies are tough. But I knew you as a uh, as a big fan. What's a what's a, a Jennifer Ely stand that pays off for Jennifer Ely? A strategy I don't like doing, but you sometimes do because it's the smart thing to do. So if you get the wrong answers out there, you're going to get the right answers faster. Yeah, but years. I don't like relying on years. I, I, I try very hard to get it before I get to the years. All right. Anyway, good show, Chris. Good podcast. Uh, Wonderful. Mediocre movie at best. All right. That Not is our episode. <laughs> if you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. All right. I am on Twitter and also Letterboxd uh, as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D, on both of those. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So forward pass us something nice about us won't you that is all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz sports